There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Another Grand Slam tennis tournament has wrapped up, which means it's time to say hello to our old friend, post-prime Roger Federer. Thanks for listening to Monday Second Camps Podcast. Hi, Murph. Hi, Ken. Hello, Owen and post-prime Roger Federer. (laughs) For those of you who haven't heard of post-prime Roger Federer, it's a phrase that I stole from Bill Simmons, to be honest with you, but it's fine because he stole it from John McEnroe. So (laughs) Every idea has got to be stolen from somebody. Basically, the last year before last year, that Federer had won more than one major title in the same year was 2009. Up until that point, he'd won 15 Grand Slams. Then they started getting a little bit harder to come by mm-hmm. uh, from 2010 on. A 2010 Australian Open here, a 2012 Wimbledon there, kept the show on the road. But there's a very definite sense 2009 was the last of the truly great years, the end of the Federer prime. Thing is, post-prime Roger Federer is now hoovering up Grand Slams like, well, like prime Roger Federer. And isn't post-prime Roger Federer's career now longer than... Prime Roger Federer's career. I've worked I mean, at that. That's nine years ago. <laughs> Three, so. Yeah, so he's got longevity. Post Prime himself. Post Prime Roger Federer has. He's also one of the longest long serving yeah, tennis yeah. Uh, on professionals tour. on tour. Yeah. Three of the last five, which makes it five majors in those twilight years, in this extended twilight period, which means, Ken, Post Prime Roger Federer has now won more of the big ones than two of his pretenders, Andy Murray and Juan Martin Del Potro, combined. Mm. Post Prime Roger is also just one short of Boris Becker now. He's got <laughs> Becker in his sights. That's pretty good. It is pretty good, but I know you're not impressed because the last time I brought this up, you said, yeah, it it basically means that all the young players are useless on the tour. It still does kind of mean that. (laughs) There is an element maybe that some of these uh, upstarts have to start beating him. Maybe they just love Roger Federer as much as the rest (laughs) of the known world appears to love Roger Federer. Yeah, Nadal and Djokovic were disrespectful. And these these younger players than those are way more respectful than Djokovic and Nadal were, and Murray to an extent. They know so their place. They know their place. You mm. happy with that explanation? No. Mm, uh, I've n- I've never seen it happen in sport before. <laughs> but he was so keen on the on the kind of old legend Gipper figure that they just kept lying down. Let, letting him, him win. Let him win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I don't know. Is there is there a talent drain in that sport? 
it's suddenly become less of a persuasive prospect to become a tennis player. Kyle Edmund would have something to say about that, I'm sure. As with Chung, the South Korean. Mm. Or darling of uh, the US tennis Sandgren, although he is 26. <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah. would hear from him again. Well, we're going to Luke Jensen, see what Luke Jensen has to say about all this in a little while. But it's around this time in a Monday that I usually play a clip from the previous week's World Service to promote what's going on. I think I'm going to change things up today, though. And this is with thanks to an early contender for Scumbag of the Week. This is an important piece of correspondence entitled Shame the Spongers. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fing with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Owen Farrelly writes, Dear Editor at Second Captains, I'm just going to come right out and say what you've all been thinking. Well, at least what Owen has been thinking. It's time to name and shame the Monday spongers who latch on to the independent member-led journalism rations that you generously dole out during the week. Name and shame, Perhaps it is time to make it real for them to ask our fellow members to call out the spongers in their lives. We all know some. Maybe hearing their shame publicly broadcasted is the kick in the ass that the spongers need. Hmm. So with my pitchfork in tow, let me start it off with the sponger in my life. I love this. This is so proactive from Owen Farley here. Dylan Burke. Hello, Dylan. Now is the time. Uh, we know you're listening to this show, Dylan. Yeah, Dylan. Cleanse yourself in the waters of the second captains and atone for all your months of scabbing by forking out five euro a month plus fat. Then you can let the healing begin, writes your pal Owen. Owen is also happy to provide more spongers, should we need them, to hit a quota to get this idea over the line. Big fan of the show, happy to be along for the rides, his own. All the best. It's going great. What's going even better now, Owen, that you've come up with this idea? So good, I'm going to rescind the title of Scumbag of the Week. Yeah. It's not fair to call somebody of your stature. No, no, no you're the hero of the mm. week, the hero of the hour. This is going to be an ingenious regular slot on the show, I believe. This is the way to do it. Okay. So email editor at secondcaptains.com with the Second Captain's Monday only, Monday only listening sponger in your life and we shall read them out with glee on the podcast. Murph, how about you kick things off, please? Well, I'm talking to you the way I want to talk to you. If you have a problem, turn off your station. So I have to name a sponger yeah, in my life. Shame a sponger, Murphy. Okay, hello, Brian Murphy. <laughs> yes, my eldest brother Brian lies to me on the regular about being a member, but I can check who signed up, Brian, and you're a disgrace. A thundering disgrace. And you're sponger number one. All right, Murphy, can we go with that thing? Well, I'm talking to you the way I want to talk to you. If you have a problem, turn off your station. I would like to shame a sponger called Rebecca Meehan, otherwise known as my wife. <sighs> Rebecca, I can't believe Not this. even sure she's a Monday listener, but I know she's friends and colleagues who are fully signed up to the World Service, so maybe you guys could just pass it on. So listen, Rebecca Meehan, Brian Murphy, and the rest of you non-members, get on to secondcaptains.com forward slash join today. It'll only take a couple of minutes. And to those of you who are members and want to shame the spongers, please email editor at secondcaptains.com. Owen Farley, you hero. Thank, thank you, so you Owen. Thank you, Owen. For that email. There was a story over the weekend that Michael Lester will be retiring early next year. You probably read that, Murph. Which means... I did. The 2018... This year's All-Irelands would be his last on RT, if that's the case. Michael has obviously been a rock of RT's GA coverage for many years. I can't help but think, though, that the league doesn't quite fire his guns in the way that no. the championship does. I was watching last night, and I feel the same every year. It looks... While he was ultra-professional as ever, I mean, mm, I mean who might take it to... Uh, cast judgment on Michael Lester's broadcast. I just feel like any good GA competitor, he doesn't 
quite look as engaged as he will yeah. come the high summer days. <laughs> he says it's only the league more often than the managers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we all know none of this matters. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but here we are, Michael. You know, we're watching, yeah, you're presenting. You're big audience. Let's just you know, let's just go for it. Anyway, uh, no such equivocation about the importance of what we were following yesterday on Shannon Side FM on as Willie Hegarty breathlessly broadcast the denouement of Meath Roscommon. Roscommon are three down. Full duck, no dinner. Everybody is standing. Here comes Smith. Goal for Roscommon. Goal by Tony Smith. And Roscommon have salvaged the draw from the jaws of defeat. There were five up. There were three down. 2-12 to 2-12. It's all over. And Tony Smith has salvaged the draw for the Rossies right at the dead. Meath can't believe it. Roscommon can't believe it. Is everybody gone home happy? What drama? What excitement? We haven't reached February yet. What's going to happen in July? We don't know. Mickey, you're laughing. What a contest. What a thriller. Meath probably felt they had it won. Roscommon had it lost. And Donny Smith has given yeah. Roscommon oh, a yeah. point. Wouldn't that bring a smile to anyone's face, game. really? So it's a Western phrase. No, no, Owen. Oh, I know what you're going for there. Yeah. No, no, no. It's it's general across the land. Mm. Just not myself and Richie's land. Well, Ivan Yates was from Wexford, and not three days after I first uh, gave all Ducker no dinner, dinner its debut here on uh, mm-hmm. St. Camp's podcast, he was rabbiting on about it. Uh, so no, it's it's general, and it's general. It's a, it's it's a it's a nationwide thing. But uh, thank you, Willie, for that. Can I just say, January, and we've, we've already played a Willie Hergerty clip. <laughs> there will be many. Ah, you know, what a, what a start to the year. Oh. We're up and running in the Allianz League, and the old gang's back together again. Oshin, how's the form? On how's things? Ah, pretty good. Mike, how are you doing? All good. It's a little earlier than usual this year, only January, still January, Oshin. Yeah. We're talking about league football. Are you happy with this turn of events? Are you excited? Yeah, I'm, I am actually. I'm delighted with the fact that there's proper football going on because uh, I think the the days of the McKenna Cup and O'Bourne Cup have sort of they've sort of slated by I think um, I heard you talk about this on RT actually I was driving down from um, was up around Bushmills uh, Oshin up north and wow. I, I turned on the radio and I was just flicking around randomly heard the voice of Oshin McConville assumed I was on BBC Radio Ulster or something thought this is very authentic <laughs> and then realised I was actually on RT it was actually RT I was listening to uh, you, you were saying do away with all those competitions just get the league going well I think the reason why I said that is because teams are Training and prepare. A lot of teams are training and preparing for uh, for those competitions. A lot of the lower uh, tier teams, like I said yesterday, should be should be uh, taken apart as a case study and find out when teams went back and how they approached yesterday or how they looked yesterday. I know a couple of teams in particular who have been back from October and a lot of the time during uh, November and December have been doing five nights a week. Genuinely, I think those teams are already jaded. Those teams are already uh, not not just physically, but the mental thing, the mental thing about the preparation and the video analysis and all that. They would be jaded already by the time the league is kicked off. I think, and they've I, got another, if all goes well, seven eight months. To yeah, play. and then supposedly we'll have a gap in April, and then we'll move into championship. But uh, for for you know, to be seeing things like that, but you look on the reverse side of that, and you look at uh, you look at the dubs, and I know the dubs is a, is a uh, uh, you know that's a bad example probably because of the talent that they have um, at their disposal, 
Jesus, they looked as if they wanted to play. It looked, you know, fresh and enthused by it. Um, I think Kerry the same. They don't look as if they have, you know, done a huge amount so far. They've had a good turnover of players. Um, there's other teams who are trying to catch up and see that the best way for them to catch up is to to put in the, the um, those hours in the gym or in the field. I'd be interested to, uh, uh, in what Morph's take was on Tyrone yesterday. But I think, right, I think physically on, they've they've gone beyond the physicality that you need to play Gaelic football. I think it's it's like, I just think they're too big. Sure, I made this point about Sean Cavanagh last year when he was retiring. Yeah. And, and he's not the only one. They have a bunch of... Yeah, and Matty Donnelly even. Yeah. And I don't know if, the, if it's done anything really... Uh, positive for them but just to go back on, on that one point about the fact that a lot of teams now like it's great for, I actually think it's great for Stephen Rochard his hand has been forced through the injuries that he has and maybe he's going to find something out about you know what he has in the background because we've never really seen that before we've never really seen oh, the turnover of players that, that Mayo had yesterday those five six changes I know a lot of the older boys come back in towards the end but um, there's a lot of teams who already have a huge amount of work done. Mm. Huge amount of work. Go on. Do you wanted to? Uh, what, what about Tyrone? First of all, we weren't going to start with them. Yeah. But well, yes. Saw them that's uh, well. It's pretty interesting actually because I think that they they're they're doing a lot of work on upper body stuff, and some of them are absolutely huge. They appear to have done just a massive amount of gym work, but it's kind of I I kind of think it's kind of pointless doing it yeah. if you're putting all of that muscle mass on guys who are like maybe five ten or five eleven when you know, it, it all it does is it takes what uh, the sort of the, their natural ability, which is like speed and you know b- being able to get across, get get kind of get over the ground and you know be mobile players. You're actually lessening that impact and putting more muscle on guys that, when it comes down to it, won't be big enough to push people around anyway. Uh, and Toronto, Toronto were pretty terrible yesterday. To be honest, they were. I mean, Tomas O'Shea was. Uh, talking about it on the telly yesterday, I'm probably only basing that on highlights and kind of the, the final score, which is you know as it turns out the story was pretty well told by the yeah. by the final score and by the the couple of highlights that we saw. But I mean, they only had three scores from play or something. Three like scores this. from play, three scores in the entirety of the first half. I mean, they kind of came back into it only because Galway, after getting into a position where they were six points uh, ahead with 15 minutes to go suddenly just completely froze and started looking at the clock and hoping that the game was over. And kind of by hook or by crook, Tyrone just were longer in their in Galway's half of the field and ended up winning a few frees, which were kicked over. But, I mean, at no stage did Tyrone look... They looked... like If you're talking about jaded teams, Tyrone looked really jaded yesterday. Just on that, though, there's an idea that Tyrone are these defensive automatons now who can't kick points. I mean, Keith Duggan did an interview, big interview with Mickey Hart at the weekend in the Irish Times, and he did make the point that the two top-scoring Ulster Championship-winning teams since records began in 1940 were Tyrone 2016 and Tyrone 2017, and that tends to get overlooked. Mike, I don't know what your thoughts are on Tyrone. Like, I'm just fascinated by that whole that whole kind of thought, you know, process about teams being back like four or five nights a week, and and like I just think the whole thing, the whole thing is to generate money for guys who are coming in there and coaching or, or or physical, you know, development roles or whatever it is with these different counties, and and like there's no players putting his, up his hand saying I want to train five nights a week in November and December there lads because it's serious crack and I you know <laughs> I, I can mind myself over Christmas and I'd be ready to go for the Burn Cup in January. There's nobody, no player is thinking like that, but. 
like some some people has and and like I know it's it's like guys don't talk about it or whatever it is. Some guys are using this thing as a huge cash cow and and are making big bucks out of coming in here, and and spinning a, a falsehood about about guys maybe needing to be in the gym five nights a week, uh, you know, and, and and need to put on so much size. Like there's no one in Gaelic football needs to be the size of of some of the guys in terms of their upper body strength. Everybody now in Gaelic football is trying to, if anything, it's working on your posterior chain, on your, on your, you know, the, the, your legs, your, your ability to run well, basically, and, and obviously build up your upper body, but not to the extent of, <clears throat> you know, being a rugby league player or, or being, you know, something that's that's more impactful like that in an upper body. And I, I just think an awful lot of this stuff, you know, and, and Tyrone seem to be more affected by anybody in terms of their body shape alone. I think a pile of it is 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 down to guys that are coming in and are you know, are, are maybe not giving the best advice in terms of physical conditioning and what they're doing. Surely it's easy for Dublin, though. It's easy for Jim Gavin to come out and say, oh, we've only been back training two weeks. I mean, look at the look at what they have and look at what the base that they're coming from. Every other county is playing catch-up, Mike. And I guess the thought is we have to do something different here. We have to try something we haven't tried. Yeah, and it is. I mean, obviously, like Jim Gavin, he, I mean, but like they were still up in Table Mountain drinking beers a couple of weeks ago and, and, and they were running around Croke Park now like gazelles, uh, you know, on last Saturday night and they didn't look like the whole thing had, had impacted on too much. And like, you know, like Oshin talked about a case study. There's a lot of interesting ones there where guys have been to Australia over the course of the National League and they've come back and played in the championship and they look really, really good. Um, and, and this kind of argument of maybe being freshness over over fitness that, mm. that it, you know, if you have it in the tank and it comes back to you quick enough, then really I'm not sure if you need to be spending five nights a week. And there, there are loads of those stories out there of, of guys who've done that. But I, I, I understand and I appreciate teams are, are trying to push the boundaries and seeing how much more they can do but but really, I mean, the gym the gym isn't the place to do it, and and putting on you know bigger size, your jersey looks a little bit tighter. Probably isn't the best way to go about it. Yeah, and you we're talking here about the things you can do to catch up with Dublin. The gym isn't how you catch up with Dublin. <laughs> like that's you know the, the whole idea of it is that you become a better footballer, you become a better football team, and you know the the way you don't find that in the gym. You know the gym is actually is an answer to a question that isn't being asked. You know, and like I watched the Tyrone cornerback. I just had to double check his name. Uh, Hugh Pat McGeary. Hugh Mc, uh, McGeary is his name. He got the goal in midfielder uh, in a clinch with about five minutes to go. Peter Cook, uh, fine young player from goal who was on the under twenty one team last year and played really well yesterday and looks like he could be a fine for Galway. And you know, a rangy, athletic midfielder. The cornerback had the goal in midfielder in a clinch and basically you know, in a typical kind of UFC ground and pound type motion for about like two minutes. This Tyrone cornerback is able to like manhandle the goal of midfielder. Of course, the cornerback had been pretty well cleaned for the game and the, mid- the goal of midfielder, Peter Cook, had actually had a very good game. So again, it's like he's, uh, he's prepared his body for to answer questions that actually aren't being asked <laughs> well, you on do, the GFU. Uh, you do have to get stronger though. You do have to get. You do have to get big. But maybe muscle is one way of yeah, people. Well, have, people, have tried, way. people have tried to play football against Dublin. They've tried to be defensive against Dublin. Maybe now that now is the year where teams have to try to muscle Dublin out of it. And the only way to do that is to get big in the gym. No. Well, I just think that if you go back to the Trung game last year, Trung were well fit to mass match uh, Dublin physically, but they just couldn't get to them to put in a tackle to use that physicality that they built up. And I think that, for me, is the major problem. I think that's why Mayo match up so well against Dublin is because, athletically, 
they're able to get there and, and, and make the tackles. They're able to um, they're match lean. them. Paddy yeah, Durkin, they're, yeah, they're able to match them. Yeah. You know, for pace and and for and for that. But one of the major things, right, is that I understand that Rochford is in a he's in a pretty decent position. That uh, Ian Fitzmaurice has now got an extension uh, on his uh, tenure there. Jim Gavin is established and he's under no pressure, and therefore you can do these things. But the turnover of managers in the second and third third division means that when a man when somebody comes in on the thing they think is, you know, I need to do something different. Like we've said, I need to. We need to step it up. We need to create a culture of us being a professional, uh, proper Gaelic football outfit. And they don't. They mightn't realize that somebody's already tried that. But you always think in your own mind that when you come in. And what you have to bring to the table is more important or it's better than what the last person has to take. You want to make an instant impact. You want to win the Oborn Cup matches because that takes the pressure off you. Um, you know, I see it in I see it in, in Louth with, with Pete McGrath. He's come in and, and they're one of the teams who have a huge amount of work done as in the four and five nights a week from October. Um, I have a young lad, uh, Sam Roy, who played um, with the college his season was over on the 30th of December. It was an impact injury, so it could have happened any time, okay? But still, it was the 30th of, of December, and the O'Born Cup had started. It was his first game. Uh, breaks his leg in two places, and his season is is more or less over. And again, to go back, that's, that is an, uh, an impact injury, but should they really have been playing football on the 30th of December? I don't, see the, I don't really see the point. And the argument is, well, they'll have to arrange challenge matches anyway. Yeah. Arranged challenge matches, but those challenge matches are arranged on your terms. Um, they're arranged when you want those challenge matches. Uh, you arrange who you play against and the terms of whether it's a 60-minute game or it's 320s or it's whatever. Mm. And I think that's the big difference is that I don't know if county teams want this, uh, want that competition that much anymore. When you're talking about the type of managers you're talking about that, though, though, who are trying to make an instant impact, it's actually the exact opposite end of the scale to Mickey Hart. Mickey Hart has been there. Yeah. He's proven to everybody. He doesn't have anything to prove. He, he does run a, essentially a professionally run team. And he thinks a lot about the game and he's obviously decided this must this must be a way that we can go now. But when Mickey Hart, this is a strange thing, when Mickey Hart was winning All-Irelands, Tyrone would train him one night a week. Until one night a week, until the championship come round, right? One night a week until championship, and then they but, do. But we're talking they, 10, they, 10, 15 years ago. They ramp it up. You can't do that anymore. Well, we're talking two thousand and eight. So what's that? Ten years ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, things have changed a lot in ten years. You can't train one night a week. <laughs> no, they they have changed. But to go from 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 that thinking and keeping your players fresh, um, and I think it's you know, too far. I just think that it, you know, for him to go, for that to completely turn around. I mean, I understand it's not Mickey Hart that's taking him for the gym walk. You know what I mean? It's not Mickey Hart who's taking him for. Uh, uh, he's probably not. He probably doesn't have a major hand in any of the training that they do. Okay, he's he's overseeing it, but um, you know, to get, I, I imagine ten years ago he had more of a handle on what exactly was happening and whether. That was the right thing for them to do, but I'm making the po- um, the point I want to make just to go back to is that if they were doing one night a week and it was keeping those players fresh, and then all of a sudden you're ramping up for championship, where where does a team go that's been training four or five nights a week in Dece- in November and December? How do you put it in the players' head, boys? This is different. You know what I mean? It's different. We're championship now. 
what do you go to? You do the seven nights. Do you know what I mean? That that's that's the only thing. Where do you where do you go? Where do you go now? Like I mean, like Dublin have so have so many places to go. Kerry has so many places to go. Mayo so many players places to go. Not only with with the with the fact that they're ramping up the training and and players will know that it's getting the serious time of the year, but also the fact that every week another player comes back. Every week there's somebody else coming into that squad. There's somebody else sitting on the bench that you can you, you know that you'll see coming off the bench and making an impact. And like Dublin. Kerry, Mayo, they have that in abundance. Don't rate Tyrone's obituary just yet because, like, the, the early season games, the first couple of games in the National League, always throw up a couple of, um, always co- throw up a couple of results or a couple of weird results. But, um, I, I know what camp I'd like to be playing football in, and that's those three camps in particular because you know that you know there's there's some sort of respite there for you you're not going to be training five nights a week what about Kerry's performance Mike I know you were excited when the team was announced so was everybody in Kerry I think there were a bunch of the young lads being brought through at the same time which is always quite exciting how'd they go yeah similar to probably Rossford a little bit you know Fitzy's hand was was definitely forced by the amount of guys that were you know more established guys that were unavailable due to injury or taking a break or playing basketball or whatever it was it was just there's a lot of guys unavailable to him so it was uh, it was patchy you know as you as you'd expect I think with eight guys making their first senior kind of start uh, but it was loads loads to you know loads of encouragement there you know obviously the focus was all on David Clifford and like the guy you know every time he touched the ball it was a you know you could hear people gasping in the stand waiting for him to do something magical but uh, it was the other guy Sean O'Shea that really really looked like he's just you know he's ready made and 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 looks like he's ready to go at centre forward I, I'd be surprised, you know, even after just like a very brief showing of, of yesterday's game, I'd be surprised if the guy's not centre forward for the championship. You know, he he just looks like he has it all in his locker. And I mean, even even the free taking ahead of Paul Ganey, I mean, he, he took all the frees yesterday, nailed a big one just I suppose late in the game into injury time to level it and and then obviously Dahi Casey pulled up and, and, and got a winner. But I, I think, you know, Kerry people and, and Kerry sports in general have just kind of been saying, look, we've we've won four All Irelands back to back at minor level. Why why aren't we seeing more of an influx of these guys? And and then I think from that point of view people were delighted that they were all thrown in at the at the deep end. Normally you try and have your couple of experienced guys and maybe you know blood one or two young fellas every time, but this was kind of the opposite. You you less experienced guys than you had uh, rookies, I suppose. And um, you know most most would be pleased enough. Clifford did nothing outstanding, but you'd imagine that kind of experience will come to him pretty quickly. What about Foley, Mike? Yeah, I like him. I like him. He's he's a big rangey fullback. Like uh, yesterday, yesterday you see Donegal kind of obviously had a man sent off. The uh, midfielder was sent off pretty, pretty early, and 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 they just kind of retreated a little bit and played with one guy up top and Shane Ennery was marking McBriarty, who who McBriarty was absolutely unbelievable yesterday as well as by the way. If you if you haven't seen all of it, like he kicked ten points. Uh, no, I think it was probably seven or eight from from freeze to be fair, but. Like some of some of his kicking was just you know top drawer stuff. He won he won a kick out in front of the in front of the terrace over in right, soloed down the field, stroked it over with his left on the on the run. It was great score. But um, Foley Foley was was to be fair, he was getting forward a lot because his man was playing nearly in the half back line. So it, it it probably wasn't a fair reflection of his defensive capabilities. But he's he's another guy who looks like he's he's got a you know he's got serious pace and and he's got that natural kind of good frame that size that he's. He's going to be strong enough pretty quickly as well to be able to handle that senior to county stuff, you know? Yeah, and it's one of those positions, actually one of the few positions where actually people get really excited when one of those comes along uh, because, you know, numbers 5 to 12 are, 
you know, pretty much interchangeable. But if you get uh, specialist players in the full back line or in the full forward line, then you know that that, that that that's a key part of the of the of the pitch that you actually have a have have a solution found for. I mean, Clifford is it is so interesting. I mean, you kind of think that Kerry and Donegal was shown on TG Gahar nearly just because of David Clifford. I mean, it's it's an extraordinary thing. And like watching Sean O'Shea yesterday, it very quickly became clear that the, it, Sean O'Shea was the major beneficiary of David Clifford coming along in a lot of ways because here is a guy that usually people would be getting very very excited about. And he nearly crept into the team unannounced and kicked three points from play. And as you say, that free right at the very end uh, from 45 yards out or more to level the game in your on your debut in Killarney. I mean, that speaks to a guy who has serious temperament. Oh, yeah. And, and like, I mean, this is what people people were very surprised last year that he wasn't actually getting more more time or coming on even for, for the last 15 minutes of the game because, like, he just... And, and I've seen him, you know, at first-hand at club level and the guys, he just looks... He's got that body that he doesn't need time to, to, to grow into. He's there, like, he's physically, he's there. He's he's what you want in that lean. He's not too big. He's not, he's not you know, weak in any way. He's two feet. He's brave over his head. I mean, when Kerry, Kerry were getting cleaned out yesterday in the middle of the field in the second half, you know, McFadden was just having his way with another monster, a monster of a game, and uh, and they took off Barry Sullivan, the the, the younger guy, and they actually moved Shawnee Shea out to the middle of the field to see if they could, you know, quell the Donegal guys out there. So, like, he he has the physicality of it, and and. That was that would have been maybe the only question mark because in a football sense he had everything you know from from the you know captaining the Kerry minor winning team obviously in sixteen, um, but this like I think the the most exciting thing from Kerry's point of view, while while you know they should have won the game possibly more comfortably than they were and it was to, to Donegal's credit that they made it such a battle and Kerry had to go and win it a couple of times but. It's it's the probably the amount of athleticism that's after kind of coming coming on stream like the, like Oshin mentions Jason Foley. I mean he would have been like a national record holder at at under sixteen level for hundred ten meter sprints and hundred ten meter hurdles and stuff. So like you you're you're after bringing a team now that maybe you know was was the perception was that, that we don't have a lot of pace there and and we needed that injection of it and and yesterday you just you kind of got that in abundance really you know. Well, Shane, David Clifford is a man, a young man who scored four goals in an All-Ireland final. Right, I know he created a goal in three points in a short spell yesterday. I've no interest in that. I want the man. He's a man now, right? Delivering. To see, I want to deliver and I want him scoring goals. No, it was funny. It was funny watching him because he looked, he, he looked like uh, he had some of Donahue's traits, actually, in... Uh, his unselfishness, like, you know, the the hand pass for the goal was particularly unselfish when he maybe could have turned, turned and shot himself. Uh, would it take a what? Are you happy enough to see that at this stage, or would you like a guy to look as though he really wants to be the the, the hero straight away? Well, I think you know he's learned very quick. I'm sure him if it's Morris said the best thing you can do, you know, today is do a couple of simple things, get yourself into the game. Uh, you know, if he keeps passing the ball the way he is, or keeps distributing the ball. You, you find he'll get a lot more space and when he gets a lot more space there'll be a lot more damage done uh, I told you I think I told you maybe last year um, I had the, the Dundalk Freshers team we played uh, Tralee IT in a uh, semi-final of the All-Ireland and he walked in and he was limping and uh, the, I spoke to the manager before before the game and he, I said is he a big Clifford and he says yeah he's kind of he's kind of bad at ham- hamstring injury he scored two eight for them. 
Because he's just that. He is just that talented. And, uh, you know, I have absolutely no fears or no worries for him. And I don't think yesterday will have done him any harm whatsoever. I think he'll realise that it's a, it is a massive step up. He'll have realised it's a massive step up and it'll probably take him a couple of games before he gets a 1-8 or a 1-9. But that's that's just round the corner because he he's just quality. I need to be patient then. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Another yeah, week. Yeah. Another, Another week. week. And then I want to deliver in goals. <laughs> Yeah, but Mike, I mean, it's, it was actually so interesting that for all the young lads that we've talked about, all like a few of them there, uh, 27-year-old Dahi Casey comes on and scores the winner. And I think a lot of people, I know, Oshin, you obviously would have watched quite a lot of club football over the last five or six years. And, like, my mother, for instance, loves Dahi Casey. Like, she was, like, dancing around the kitchen yesterday when she saw that it was Dahi Casey who had hit the winner. More or less than she loves Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, oh, more. More, <laughs> actually, yeah. To be fair, Owen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that right now. Uh, she's a massive fan of Dahi Casey. And, you know, it has been weird to watch him be, like, regularly one of the stars of kind of February and March uh, with Dr. Crooks over the last couple of years. Uh, and for him to not really get a run in a run with the Kerry team at all. I mean, I think it was his seventh game. Seven Yesterday was his seventh or eighth game playing for Kerry, uh, even though he made his debut seven years ago. I mean, he seems like he is everything. Paul Galvin said on, on Twitter last night, I thought it was a very good description of him, he's a vertical player um, in that he just runs at people and, and you know makes defenders make decisions. Uh, like, is he a guy that we'll actually see a bit of with Kerry this year, do you think? Like, I, I'm, I'm with your mom, Murph. I, I agree with her 100%. <laughs> like, any time I've seen this guy, and obviously would have seen him a lot more, you know, close hand than my mother with yes. crooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I hope so. I hope so. But uh, and 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 every time he's producing this kind of this kind of performance. I mean, it's a mystery to me why he hasn't been involved more. And it's you see the supporters at the moment. There's like this kind of ageist, you know, uh, um, stuff going on where if you're over 24 here now, we don't want to know about you. We only want the guys that are 18 to 24 and get them all on. But Dahi Casey has probably suffered from from the success that Crokes have had, I suppose, over, over the over those like you're talking about January, February, March, like when when the opportunities were there for him probably to go and play, he was training with Crokes or he was playing games with Crokes in the club championship, and 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 by the time he came back, stuff had quickened up, and maybe he was just he was that little bit behind, and he never really did it in in the previous chances that he had, you know. But I just think he's so smart. He's a typical. He's a typical Crokes guy, like one of these guys who's learned from Gooch. And, and every time he got the ball yesterday, even outside of the score, which was a great score, but I thought he just quickened Kerry up really, really, you know, an awful lot by, by just getting it and moving it on with a foot past 40 or 30 yards, even if it was unmarked. He, he's, just, he's just clever and he's smart. And I mean, he's he's got plenty of gas in the tank. He was able to look at two of them and go by him. And, and whether he took two hops or not, he was able to... Uh, he was able to stick it over the bar. I actually met him this morning. He's a teacher above in one of the schools in Chile. And uh, I, I was doing, um, I was around kind of just after the game. I was probably there a little bit later, just waiting for somebody. And all the, uh, everybody had gone and the subs came back out, like, which is the greatest, you know, kick in the backside you can ever get. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you play like, if you play, what is it, like maybe less than 20 minutes or something, they give you the, they give you the peace and quiet of leaving, leaving everybody, leave the ground. And then you come back out, to whatever, six or seven or eight of you. And and they started doing some speed endurance work for about 15 minutes. And Dahi Casey, after kicking the winning point, 
about 10 minutes previously was out in the field at the back of the group <laughs> oh with his tongue uh, you know, <laughs> hanging out and trying to catch up with fellas running around the pitch. It was an awful, it was a serious come down after the high of 10 minutes previously. But um, no, he's there and he's got it. And, and you know what? I, I, I'd love to see him hang in there and, and, and play some kind of a role. And I think that's something he could do coming off the bench with 15 minutes to go and give you a bit of a punch. O'Shane, what about the dubs? Apparently the whatever, whatever beers they were drinking in South Africa weren't particularly heavy on calories by the looks of things. Yeah, <laughs> Brian, Brian Fenton didn't look too out of shape I know they were a little bit rusty but yeah they are bad. rusty but I think the other thing that we need to remember is okay they're only back a couple of weeks but like there's none of them sitting on with Big Macs and Super Size chips you know every uh, every night of the week they are keeping themselves in fairly good nick there's a couple of them who probably could be doing with a little bit more training but uh, generally speaking they look in tip top fashion but is it fair to name and it's shame the, it's the joys <laughs> it's the joys on of 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 playing with a bit of freedom and you know just they the, first of all the way they play football the way they go about it and the fact that at this time of year that there's no major pressure on name and shame Michael Dara possibly could be doing with a few extra lap. He could be probably doing with waiting behind with the Kerry subs. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, the, but, but this idea, this idea of like... This is already fuel. This is fuel for the dubs. Yeah. <laughs> or, or should it to go Michael Dara McCauley's shape at the very start yeah. of January? But this is it. Like this idea that, you know, wintering well, you know, like Paddy O'Shea running laps in Ventry so that to, to get ready for Dwyer or whatever that <laughs> stupid phrase was. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, like it's a total misnomer now that... The Dublin lads go and celebrate in All Ireland for three or four months, and they come back like three stone overweight, and they have to go training to lose the weight. I mean, the whole like, like that's just so outmoded anyway. Like, what they do is okay, we haven't kicked a ball maybe for a couple of months. They might be ring rusty football wise. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like Tyrone were very bad yesterday. Tyrone are playing Dublin in Oma next week. I would expect Tyrone will be a, look a lot better next Sunday than they did yesterday. I agree, and the Dubs probably just won't be as. Upford is playing under lights in Crow Park. Uh, yeah. First game back after winning All Ireland. So yeah, that's like as I say, a lot of things can change over the next couple of weeks. But there's teams you wouldn't be worried about, and there's individuals you wouldn't be worried about. All right, lads, we have a long year ahead, so keep yourselves rested. I want you peaking around July, August. Yeah, that's so well, difficult. One day a month. Twenty eighteen yeah. <laughs> is is it's a totally different year. We all have to get well, used. It's to massive. It, you know? yeah. Ocean, yeah. thanks a million, Mike. Thank you. Thanks. Super. In the final and on in again. And
Got an email in here from Ben Hawk. Haw. I should probably check with people how they pronounce their names before reading them out on air. No, just covered. He's just happy you're doing it. Ben has emailed in. How are you, lads? After listening to Cautious Owen describe his cautious road trip to the north, I felt compelled to email in to commend him on his better safe than sorry approach. I too embarked on a road trip from Dublin to the north last weekend. I was not cautious. We left Belfast on Saturday morning, headed for Carrickfergus, as you suggested. Of course, before perfectly serviceable little town, I believe <laughs> yeah. you've read out. Before continuing along the coastal route in the direction of the Giant's Causeway. The main road seemed fine and we foolishly admired the snowy mountains in the distance from the comfort of the car. We took a detour to Torhead, which, according to Discover Northern Ireland, offers spectacular views over the Mull of Kintyre. We never got to experience those views. The road to Torhead is extremely narrow, windy, and dotted with very steep hills. You see, this is, this is what I was trying to avoid. Mm. We quickly realised we had made a terrible mistake. After about 10 minutes, we were surrounded by snow and the road was covered with a thick layer of ice. Ugh. It was terrifying, but there was no room to turn around, so we had to keep going. Well, there's always room to... Anyway, I swear I heard my non-religious girlfriend whispering rapid-fire prayers under her breath as we gracefully slid around corners like a car from Micro Machines on the Mega Drive. However, she has since denied this. We eventually managed to turn around and began carefully making our way back. But halfway up a particularly steep hill, my 13-year-old Polo began shrieking like a banshee before its tiny engine could puff no more and gave up on life. The car began sliding back down the icy hill, so I jammed on the handbrake, not knowing if it would halt our terrifying descent. Thankfully it did, but we were stranded. I spent about 20 minutes trying to phone the AA, but there was limited coverage. Luckily, two tourists arrived and offered to alert a local farmer. Our hero arrived a little later in his tractor, a wry smile painted on his face. He found the situation pretty amusing, but he couldn't have been nicer. He salted the roads, removed the ice from under the car's wheels, and gave us a push to the top of the hill. We managed to make it to the Giants. Oh, he, so basically, Ben starts going into the same detail I did as to what was open and what was closed. I don't need to read that part of the email, I don't think. Just the death-defying bits. But my New Year's resolution is to be more cautious like all. So, mm. Ben. I mean, I, so think I think, Ken, to be fair, like there is a middle ground that we can strike here. Mm. You know, I didn't mention Torhead. You know, Torhead is off the beaten track. Mm. I mean, I was asking Owen basically to drive up a national primary road. I don't think... I, th- I think you would have been Other fine. Other people on. informed me that there were mountain passes to navigate on that route. Maybe I should have stuck to just one mountain source. Mountain passes on a national primary road. This is what happens when people from Dublin go exploring. <laughs> it's a national primary road. It's going to be okay. Better safe than sorry, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Road safety we're talking about here. Roger Federer showed Not a laughing matter Just enough vulnerability To provide some drama In yesterday's Australian Open final But ultimately he came through For his 20th Grand Slam Luke Jensen from ESPN Good to chat to you again Oh it's always great To be back in Ireland Oh well listen You're in good form It's good to hear And Roger Federer Was in good form Albeit he couldn't stop crying In his post-match speech Yesterday Luke A lot of people Were surprised by this it really tells us how much he puts into this, how much he still cares about the game. Remember, this is a guy at 36 years old, understands that every victory, every swing, every opportunity he has on the court could be his last. You know, I mean, he's at the very end of this great career. So when he does have unbelievable moments like this, and this this match was in doubt, he got out to a really good start. His, his opponent, Chilich, played poorly in the first set, but picked it up, and Roger clearly was running out of gas. He was in energy conservation mode. He was really watching how much fuel he had left in the tank. There was an early scare in the fifth, and he came on strong. But you can see the emotions when he talks to 
He's looking at waiver. He's looking at the history of the game, that he's a part of it, and it's a beautiful thing to him. He was asked later on about the emotion that he showed, and he said, in the third, fourth, and fifth sets, I kept thinking, what would I feel like if I won? If I won? What would I feel like if I lost? It wouldn't go away. I was so close, and my mind was all over the place. I thought that was an interesting quote, because it gave you a little glimpse into a tiny bit of self-doubt in the world of Roger Federer. It would be kind of reassuring to other players to know that Federer also thinks like that, but maybe not so reassuring to know that he finds a way to get through it. It's curious because even last year he came into the Australian Open didn't think he was even going to have a chance to win after a six-month layoff. And he fights his way through the first week and finds his way through a a few five-setters and wins over his nemesis Nadal in the final. This year, he clearly was the favorite. This year, the court favored him. It was a faster court. In the finals, it really favored him because they played indoors. It was so hot, they closed the roof. So all these stars started to align. And you could start to see the way he describes his mental you know, approach to winning that slam, even though he'd done it 19 times before. He'd won Olympic gold medals, Davis Cup for Switzerland. Every time he steps on the court, there's that shadow of doubt showing us he's human. Is the mental side of his game overlooked, do you think, his ability to get through those moments? I really do, especially when I see kids that idolize him and they get frustrated. I always say, look at your idol. Look at how human he is, his emotions, when he plays, when he practices, when he wins, when he loses, how much it means to him, and still he remains composed. He remains poised. A true champion is something you strive for. And Roger still showing that he is human, that no matter how good it looks, you're always one step or one swing away from losing your rhythm, losing your timing, and losing the match. Luke, we've been talking about this idea of a post-prime Roger Federer who you could argue even a couple of years ago was doing pretty well to hang on in there. Uh, He's doing a lot more than hanging on in there now. He's won three Grand Slams of the last five. Is there any one particular... Uh, one particular quality of his that you put this down to? Is it as simple as as Djokovic in particular falling away, Murray and Nadal falling away? Well, Nadal maybe not falling away too much, but am I being unkind on him to put it down to those factors? What do you think it is? Why is he winning all these tournaments again? Owen, Owen, no doubt you have to contribute the injuries to the other players as a factor. And when you say he's won three of the last five, remember, he didn't even play the French Open last year because he wanted to put all the eggs in the Wimbledon basket and it paid off for him. He knew going on clay against the Nadal and the rest of that clay court field was going to be a tough ask that would drain him for the Wimbledon run. So I think he's scheduling another element. He's scheduling really smart. He doesn't play in patches of the season to rest up that aging body. But I truly believe the secret with him, Nadal, Murray, Djokovic, in the end, if you sit down and talk to him, just kind of guy to guy, got a beer with him. You know, you, got, you get a pint. He tell you how much every one of those guys they tell you how much they still love the sport they don't need the money they clearly don't need the fame they don't need the game anymore but they love the game so much because it's where they compete where they can express themselves as a competitor and it's 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 home for them when they step on that court in those lines they can get away from all the noise and anything that is distracting them because it's something that has given them so much, so much, so much they love. And you can see in Roger Federer, it doesn't matter if it's first title or is his 20th title. He's now chasing, you know, Serena Williams. 
and Margaret Court, and he's chasing Steffi Graf. He's chasing some unbelievable numbers because in the essence, if you don't love it, it's really hard to sacrifice for it. And because he still loves it, he can still play at a high level and commit to such a high level of practice. Well, Lucas, the problem then that, that uh, there aren't enough young players around who really love the game because it's kind of ridiculous for a 36-year-old to be winning tennis grand slams repeatedly. Uh, I mean, I think it's only Ken Rosewall who's managed to win right. uh, older than Federer. And, you, you know, you're going back to the early 70s to find him. I mean, this is, uh, you know, whatever about the fact that Federer is the biggest star in tennis and, and, and the most loved player in the game, it's kind of bad for the game that he's still dominating at this age. See, I don't see it that way. I see as the young guys are are having to improve their game because as an ex-player, as now an analyst, when I break down the numbers, when I break down the film and watch replays and, and break down their technique and everything, Roger's still the most complete player. He has one of the best and most effective serves, not the fastest, but he hits his target. So he gets out of points quickly with that one swing. He has one of the best transition forehands in the history of the game and clearly one of the best forehands, if not the best right now in the game. So when I break down, I just take away the age and youth and all this stuff. And I go, who's really the most skilled player. It's still Roger Federer, this quality of shot, his ability to play all parts of the court. He can play with touch. He plays very relaxed. So he's not as, as intense as a Nadal that will break down because Nadal plays with such emotional passion such intensity. Roger plays so much more relaxed. So I think a lot of things go into it, but he's still just the best player. I don't think it is a shadow on the players coming up. I love this kid from Korea, Chung. He's the real deal. He beat Djokovic on the way. I really like this Verev. He lost to Chung. So there are a lot of elements of good players coming up, but Roger and Rafa, they're still the best. Yeah, well, I hope I hope that he is. I hope that Korean does manage to, to get to this level. I mean, somebody's going to have to. It is a bit unusual um, with this, the sport of tennis. When you know, when you look at, around at other sports, there it's it's seldom that you can look at a sport and say the most skillful player, the best player of this sport, is a guy who was also the best player in two thousand and one. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 very it's a very strange situation. One of the reasons why the the skill levels in sports generally seem to gradually increase over time is the fact that the younger players the new players who come through grow up watching the old players i mean there's no young ten- every young tennis player in the world today has grown up watching roger, Fre- roger federer and learning from his example and yet none of them has yet put together a game which uh, approaches his in quality it's, it's quite an unusual situation because in every other sport you see uh, the opposite but here's the thing. I, I think we're going into uncharted territory, not just in tennis, but like in American football. We have Super Week right now, which is leading up to the Super Bowl. You know, Tom Brady, TB12, he's he's 40, 40 years old. I mean, that, that's, a quarterback has never started a, a Super Bowl at 40, and he's been to, this is his eighth Super Bowl. Serena Williams, is she's in her mid-30s. I know that, uh, I think, Venus is even older. So you've got these unbelievable stories of athletes. Now, I don't know what it's like in, in soccer, but in I know that you, you can look at examples throughout. Nadal's in his mid-30s. You see these guys and girls that are playing at a very high level because, to me, once you're able to slow down 
father time or what with the body, you know, flexibility, better nutrition, smarter scheduling, not wearing yourself down. Mentally, you get sharper. I mean, you you understand the game better, so you get wiser that way. It's just a matter: can you keep your keep your machine going? And that's what I think the secret in Roger Federer and all these other athletes that are doing it longer. They're smarter in how they take care of their body. I mean, Tom Brady doesn't eat tomatoes because it it hurts his recovery process. He's that he's down to that kind of science. Mm. And so, you know, players back in my day, back in the '90s, we were going to McDonald's and Taco Bell all the time. We didn't know any better. And it just started turning over in the late '90s when players started really looking after their body. There were examples like Navratilova and Ivan Lendl, but for the most part. We didn't really understand nutrition and how to take care of our bodies with flexibility and massages and all those things. Speaking of taking care of the athletes' bodies, Luke, I thought the decision to close the roof seemed fine. They were worried about the the heat and they they closed the roof. It seemed pretty simple. Uh, there there was some criticism, and I know Chilich in particular had prepared for a hot match. He he found it difficult to adjust, but. I would say to those critics that one of the finalists in the women's the day before, Simona Halep, had to go to the hospital for four hours because of dehydration. Like, it's a crazy time of the year in a hot country to, to be playing a tournament. Surely it's only common sense to use whatever measures there are to keep the players cool and safe. Not to mention the 18,000 plus in that state. Yeah. And it's, it's only really fair for everyone in attendance to really make it a fair fight. And I understand Chilich. I believe should have done his homework. His team should have done the homework talking to the officials. Is there a possibility that we're going to be playing indoors considering it was above 40 and the conditions were very difficult. It's exactly what you laid out from the day before in the women's final. Do you want your competitors at the end of a long two week marathon event, you know, breaking themselves, killing themselves due to the conditions, these extreme conditions. I think the tournament, in my opinion, did the right thing. The, the technology's there. you got to use it. Chilich, I think, did a wrong thing by practicing outside instead of going inside. It's just a small adjustment, but it was a big difference in the first set. Chilich was off his game. Last word, and that's on the women's final, Caroline Wozniacki's victory. This is something that people can, even if they don't follow tennis, you'd understand it from the golf world or other sports. While there is a, a cachet to being world number one, obviously, it is sort of hard to call yourself the best as Wozniacki has been at times over the years, having that, that ranking without a Grand Slam in the locker. How important is it, do you think, that she's got it done now? It's huge. Just because, I mean, you would like to see someone who's had such a great career, truly great career, who's lived and played in the Serena and Venus, you know, decade or two decades to get one in her pocket. Because number one is great. You know, representing your country and all these things are fantastic. But in the end, if you don't hold one of those slam trophies, um, your career is going to have kind of a cavity in it. And I'm so happy for her because she is one of the most well-liked competitors on the men's and women's tour. You can't find one player that doesn't like her. It, it's unbelievable. So I'm really happy for her. Uh, unfortunate for Halep. She'll get her slam. This is Halep was a player in 2017 that had a 3-1 lead in the final set at the French Championships and kind of gagged that one away. So this one, she didn't lose it. She didn't. Halep didn't gag it. Wozniacki won it, but Halep's going to have to earn her. She, Halep is the next great player who hasn't won a major yet, but she'll get one. Luke Jensen, great to talk. Thank you. Rock and roll, guys. 
he agrees with plenty. Just it's always who's saying it. It's never what's actually said. Ninety percent of anything is who's saying this, and ten percent is what are they actually saying. So the ninety percent in Giles' case is oh, it's that twat. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. I'd never let you do. Never let you down. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this uh, opinion of Guardiola, it doesn't necessarily mean the football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, what can you, what can you do? You can't please everyone. Luke's on my side, Ken. Mm-hmm. The kids are all right. They are trying to take Roger Federer down. They just can't do it. The guy's too good. Well, maybe, the, maybe. I mean, you know what Luke was saying, I suppose the current World Player of the Year is also is 33 next week, in football, that is. Um, and they have, it has been the same two guys winning that award for the last 10 years. Uh, 11, 11 awards, maybe? No, 10. Five each. So... Um, maybe yeah, football. You get your house in order. Well, maybe what we're seeing. Well, I mean, the other thing is that the, that the World Player of the Year award is a lot of bollocks. Like, it's not necessarily the best player in the world that year. It's just who who scored in the Champions League final and, and which one of those well, was Ronaldo yeah. or Messi. Like, but how many of those years were Ronaldo or Messi not the certainly, best? Certainly, well, Ronaldo certainly haven't been the best player in the year just gone. There's no yeah, doubt but, about that. But who what, who was better than a Messi? So it's either 20, one or the other. Well, go back to 2010 as well. Arian Robin. Well, Frank Ribery. Javi, maybe? Oh, come, on. come on. Come on. Come on, what? It's either Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo has been the best player in the world for the last 10 years. Well, that's if you look at, the, that's if you look at your, your Ballon d'Or. Or, no, or football no, matches football. that they're playing. And just, just, football. Just the, By looking uh, at football, I know that those two have been the best player in the world in the last 10 years. Right, okay. Well, um, I do I'm not sure, but I, but it is. I mean, it is true that these that um, maybe we need to re, um, revise the age up a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of what we consider to be past it, because they are taking much better care of themselves now and know a lot more about what's healthy and what's good, what's what what kind of training is good, what's going to cause problems later. So. We could actually be in a in a sort of a, a little golden window, in which the players, the best players now in their thirties, have got all the benefit of this, you know, kind of professionalized training and scientific training and so on. But also having grown up in the eighties and early nineties, before the internet and the advent of really, really good computer games actually spent so long no on, disrespect the, to some of the previous on the repetitive work of of perfecting their skills yep. that they may be the greatest generation of sportsmen and women that there will ever be. <laughs> Both, you know, the the last to have the sort of the, the old school skills. Yeah. The 10,000 hours. To have actually sunk in all that time when there was literally nothing better for them to do. Yeah. But also to be, uh, to, to be you know, mid-30s athletes at a time when that was still viable. So thus com- combining two things that will never again exist in combination, 
Um, and and then you've got all the experience, you know, all the all the wiles and guile and know-how of the more of the elderly athlete. Yeah, I'm telling you, maybe they're maybe for this year and and maybe a couple more years until the last autumn leaves fall off the trees. We're looking at the greatest generation of sports people that there's ever been. I'm happy to go with that. Loads of build-up to the Six Nations coming up on the World Service this week. We've already chatted to Italy coach Conor O'Shea and we'll be doing plenty on France-Ireland and lots more. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening. And World Service members, don't forget, shame the spongers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.